Hello, and thanks for joining us for the Education Doctor Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Ellis. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, where I'm the principal consultant, and our mantra is Access, Thrive, Graduate. You can learn more about our firm at CompassEducationStrategies.com. Thanks to everyone who is listening to our show today. We appreciate you taking the time to listen in. If you're listening to a podcast of this program, we also want to thank you for joining us. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please join our Facebook community by searching for The Education Doctor, then clicking like. You can find us on Twitter at The Education Doc. And we are also on Foursquare, where you can see our tips to prep schools, colleges, and graduate schools around the country. Please join us on Foursquare if you're there. We have an exciting show lined up for you today. If you have listened to my prior shows or been a client family of my firm, then you've heard me preach about the college graduation rate. And I am passionate about our country's need to improve the college graduation rate. College graduation rate overall in our country today is about 55%, which is shocking uh, for a global leader. Another interesting data point is that 79.5% of our freshmen are retained between freshman and sophomore year. In short, if students are going to drop out from college, many of them are doing so after freshman year. And another point that I want to make is that it costs us nationally over $4 billion to educate those students who drop out after freshman year. So I'm just really blown away by these numbers, and they keep me going every day. So our show is a solution-oriented show, and we will spend the rest of our time having a conversation with our esteemed guest about freshman year and what both students and parents can do to get the most out of this important year of their college road to graduation. My guest today is Dean Julie Lithcop-Haynes, who is the Dean of Freshman in Undergraduate Advising and Associate Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education at Stanford University. I love that long title. <laughs> and I have known Dean Julie since she was a freshman, an undergraduate freshman at Stanford. And she may not recall it, but I was a freshman orientation leader for her entering class and had memorized all the names of the students in my cohort so that they would feel welcome when they arrived on campus. And she was among my cohort of students for the class of 1989. Then when I returned to Stanford for my doctorate, I learned that Dean Julie would be the then Dean of Freshman and Transfer Students. And I had heard about her distinguished career after undergraduate and was excited to see her back on the farm as we affectionately refer to Stanford. She is an inspiration for many and will have some great advice and tips to share for students and parents on our show today. Before we get started, I want to make sure that our listeners have our contact information. 
I have already received several emailed questions for Dean Julie to answer at our radio at compasseducationstrategies.com address, but you may still email your questions or call in to our number, which is 714-333-3356, and I always love to say this, our switchboard is located in sunny Southern California, but I am broadcasting live from sunny Dayton, Ohio, and Dean Julie is joining us from Palo Alto, California, and I think we already know what the weather is like there. And all this talk about California, and I may just have to get on the flight after the show. So at any rate, we will take a short break, and then we'll come back with Dean Julie Lipcott-Haynes to discuss freshman year of college. This is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, and I am back now to talk with Julie Lipcott-Haynes, who is the Dean of Freshmen in Undergraduate Advising and Associate Vice Provost for Undergraduate Education at Stanford University. Dean Julie, are you on the line with us? I sure am, Pam. It's so, Pamela, it's so great to uh, be on your show, and thanks for the trip down memory lane to when we first met when I was a freshman. Um, I love the fact that my office is now um, responsible for those orientation leaders and, and plays a huge role with colleagues on campus in welcoming students on their very first day. So I, I love the trip down memory lane. Thanks for that. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be part of the Education Doctors radio show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to have you on the show and appreciate you taking the time to join us. So, Dean Julie, if you can just start with telling us how long you've been in this role and what are your key responsibilities as Dean of Freshmen? Sure. Um, Stanford created the Freshman Dean role in the summer of 2002, and I've held the role since then. It has changed a lot over the years, and today my office is uh, 36 people responsible for um, everything from freshman and transfer transition into the university to pre-major advising, pre-professional advising, research grant opportunities, and supporting students who are struggling with, uh, with their academic progress. Wow. Wow. That's a big umbrella. That's a big umbrella. It is, and it's joyful work, and we love doing it. We love uh, yeah. helping young people grow to become who they're meant to become, which is, I think, um, one of the ways in which you can characterize the four years of college. Yeah. Now, that's been almost 10 years um, that you've been in that role, and I was just curious about what are some of the trends that you've seen across the entering freshman classes? I think in the 10 years, probably the greatest change that I've observed is the um, extent to which students uh, are connected with their parents and families um, as they uh, become college students. Uh, mm -hmm. That is to say, 10 years ago, students were less likely to be talking frequently with their parents and consulting parents as a first source of information or uh, for help with problem solving, whereas today, mm -hmm. um, students are more likely to be in touch with their parents on a regular basis. And um, mm -hmm. so as a university, we and our colleagues around the country um, have needed to adapt to that changing parent-child relationship, and, mm -hmm. um, and I think we've done so. Wow, wow. You know, that's interesting because oftentimes be because of the role of technology in the life of teenagers, especially sometimes you would think that there is less of that closeness and that bond between parents and, and students. So it's great that that is still maintained 
through those technology interruptions, if you will. Absolutely. I mean, when you and I were here at Stanford, uh, we didn't have cell phones. And uh, today, students uh, and you and I can whip our cell phone out and text someone we uh, want to talk with uh, without a second thought. And so, um, you know, I'm delighted when students are in close touch with their families. That's obviously a very healthy thing. I'm concerned if students are turning to parents uh, as a primary source of information uh, about things happening on the college campus where, of course, the parents are not present. And so I think part of the an important aspect of transition is um, for parents to talk with their entering college freshmen about the resources and opportunities available at that college and how the uh-huh. student might go about finding and accessing those resources, which is really about transition, helping the student transition from parents as key source of information to the college faculty and college staff as key mm-hmm. sources of information. Hmm. You know, one of the books that's on my summer reading list is called Letting Go, which is subtitled A Parent's Guide to Understanding the College Years. And so it's similar to like the What to Expect book that every new mom reads, and this Mm -hmm. book is similar to a What to Expect when your child is going to college. So what do you say to parents who are listening that are sending their first child away to college? Because it's something to negotiate that uh, Keeping, you know, allowing them to be independent and mm-hmm. also have maintain a relationship with the parents, yet not hover or not yeah. mother that independence. Ab- and so, what do you say to parents who are negotiating that this fall? First of all, I bring a lot of empathy to this conversation. I'm a mom. Uh, my kids are not quite college age, but, but in the blink of an eye, they will be. And so I very much respect the um, the great, uh, the bittersweet feeling of sending a, a, a child off to college. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say this. Our role as parents is to grow uh, our children into being fully-fledged adults who can look after their own needs and chart their own course. And mm-hmm. um, I think as parents we have to reflect on, well, what's our role um, in furthering that goal when our son or daughter is 18, is heading off to college, you know, 17, 18, 19, whatever the age may be. Um, so I think it is about um, sitting down with the student and talking about, okay, you know, at, when you get to your campus, there are going to be those faculty and staff who are there with information and opportunities and guidance and so on, and those should be the first people you turn to. Uh, we're right. still here to love you. I think parents should spread love and calm. You know, I think parents should trust that they have raised their son or daughter quite well with a set of values um, that uh, are germane to the family, um, with a set of expectations perhaps, um, but trust that they, that your son or daughter's got it and um, that you now as parent can enjoy the role of sitting back and watching your offspring, of whom you're so proud, go and do their thing. You know, in college, you're no longer getting up there and straightening the hem on her skirt when she's on stage like you did when she was in kindergarten. You know, you're no longer saying, oh, honey, didn't you mean to say it this way? Don't you want to ask that? We've really got, as parents, to trust that they've got what it takes and that if we hover, we might smother, and we're sending a message that we don't trust that they can do it without us. If we as parents are overly involved in asking the questions Mm -hmm. or getting the information or solving the problems, we're unintentionally sending the message that we don't trust that they could do it without us. And I think that's a very dangerous message to be sending a burgeoning adult. Right, right. 
You know, when you first um, started in your response, you talked about the parent talking directly uh, about what the student should do once they're on campus. How is that advice different if the parent hasn't gone to college? How do they know or what do they say if they haven't had that experience and want to still be able to support their first-generation student in being successful in college? Absolutely. It's a great question. And uh, in our community at Stanford, about 15% of our incoming freshmen will be the first in their families to attend college, which uh, mm-hmm. we, we um, honor and celebrate. Um, so let me say this. Every parent was once 17 or 18 or 19. We can all look back, regardless of our own life trajectory and experiences, we can all remember what it was like to be that age. And I think we need only look that far uh, for guidance as to the level of independence we craved, um, the challenges we were confronted with, and the opportunities we took advantage of, and perhaps some wisdom we'd give to our 18-year-old self if we had the opportunity to do it again. Every Mm -hmm. parent can offer that. For parents who themselves did not attend a four-year institution or higher education at all, um, I would um, uh, encourage the student to connect with the advising office on campus. Um, Mm -hmm. Every campus has an office like mine. Uh, Whatever it's called, it's probably got advising somewhere in the title, and that's going to be a great first resource. If it's a residentially based campus, the um, adult uh, faculty or staff who who run the residence hall will be a great resource. Um, if there are, uh, if there's a student life office, um, if there's a financial aid office, if there's a community center of one type or another, um, these are all offices that are going to be well featured in the college's uh, printed materials and their website, and all are going to be staffed with people whose job is not to do as little as they can for students, but as much as they possibly can to help the young people on the, on the campus make the transition. So. Um, mm-hmm. Those are those are some of the key resources I would suggest that um, that uh, that any parent and certainly parents who don't have the college experience themselves um, familiarize themselves with and encourage their students to seek out. Hmm. Now, in the introduction, I mentioned just my concern about college graduation because today students are taking longer to graduate or they're not graduating at all, and Stanford is high on that range. The most recently reported rate for Stanford is about 94.4% for graduation. So if students and families have a goal of graduating in four years, what what do they need to know or what should they do in freshman year that moves them toward achieving that goal? Yeah. I think one of the biggest aspects of the transition to college is simply the way in which the day is comprised differently than it was in high school. They're going to be going to bed later. They're going to be getting up later. They're going to be um, attending some classes on one day and then a fewer, a different set of classes the next day, maybe no classes on one day. It's an entirely different calendar. And I think knowing that that difference might be a bit confronting, it might be challenging, um, to anticipate that in advance will help a student get ahead of the game. So to think about how am I going to manage my time in college, okay, how am I literally going to manage my time, and then to think about how is learning at a college level asking more of me, asking me to do things differently than what was asked of me in high school. And, again, talking with people on the campus about these matters um, is, you know, talking with advisors, talking with peers, talking with um, staff and faculty to get a sense of how are things going to be different in terms of timeline, pace, 
what's expected of me? What kind of output is expected mm-hmm. on, an, on an exam in college versus high school? These are aspects of the transition that can surprise a, a student. So I think right. think about it in advance and be intentional about planning that first quarter or the first semester. Don't load up with a zillion classes. Take a smaller number and have confidence that you can manage that set of credits or units and manage Mm -hmm. the time commitment, manage the homework. Don't get overly involved in extracurriculars at the outset. Even though you may have done that in high school, scale back a little bit so you can get your bearings, you can get your academic bearings, and then start to add other things into your life. Um, I guess that's that's the first thing that I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a caller on yeah. the line from Ohio, from south southwest Ohio, and so I am going to – hello, are you on the line? Hello? I don't hear anything. Yeah, I hear them. Hello? Hello? Maybe not. Okay. okay. Well, I will um, – continue on. I wanted to ask you about your role prior. Um, your prior roles at the university were in res ed, residential education. And how how is the residential life, such as your roommate, the dorm life, the food quality even, how does that play a role in the freshman year transition, if you could talk a little bit about that? Well, at a college like Stanford, uh, we require um, we, we have uh, um, a philosophy called residential education, which is the notion mm-hmm. that our dormitories are not just places to sleep and get a meal, but really communities um, mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, a tremendous amount of learning uh, takes place. In fact, we would say that just as much, perhaps if not more, learning takes place in the residences than in the classroom. And so uh, this is where young people come together with their backgrounds and experiences and mindsets, mm-hmm. philosophies and values, and confront or sometimes uh, run right into uh, conflicting perspectives that their classmates hold based on their mm-hmm. life experience. And tremendous learning right. takes place as a result, and we're excited by that. Um, you know, your roommate is uh, is hopefully someone you're going to get along with really well, but sometimes you don't get off to a great start, and sometimes it turns out not to be a great fit. That may be the first uh, real problem you confront as a college student, and um, mm-hmm. your resident staff will encourage you to talk amongst yourselves and maybe a mediated conversation, have it facilitated, you know, really try to create some expectations that everyone can agree to and um, not resort to wanting to make a roommate switch right away. And in some ways that's an example that I think speaks to the larger issues at college. Um, right. You know, very often the, the way that problems are solved is not to remove the, someone from the situation or um, mm-hmm. tell someone they can or can't, they must do something or can't do something. It's really about negotiating and reaching mm-hmm. compromise and learning to um, accept that in life not everything goes your way and there's some disappointment. And, you know, right. when things when you experience disappointment and you survive it, which you will, you develop resilience, you develop coping skills that make mm-hmm. you a stronger um, person more capable of dealing with whatever life hands you next. And yeah. I think that's an important aspect of being, mm-hmm. you know, transitioning to college and being at college. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, I think today's students, I think, go back to your earlier question about changes in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. perhaps as a result of what I said in response, which was parents are more involved in the lives of their college students today, I'd say also uh, students are are less resilient, that is, um, maybe have, because of loving and 
um, involved parents, um, mm. they've experienced a little bit less disappointment or a little bit fewer things going wrong in their adolescence than might have been the case uh, a decade ago. And so they haven't, as a result, right. developed that, that thicker emotional skin, that kind of, yeah, I can pick myself up, dust myself off, and keep going. I'm going to be all right. And, in fact, I learned something from that experience. Hmm. That's interesting um, you would mention that resilience because that resilience oftentimes is what carries you through to mm-hmm. graduation. And even Absolutely. if you don't come in the door with it, if there's a way to uh, build that up while you're in college, it certainly makes a difference in terms of being able to graduate later. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Can I go? Can I go back? I know you have another question for me, but I wanted to say something in response to your early question. You started out talking about graduation rate, and I talked a little bit about time management and and understanding the calendar of college. Um, the other thing that I would say is when things go badly, as they most likely at some point will, which is to say. <laughs> Struggle is normal. Whether struggle to you is a getting a B plus or getting a D or an F, things mm-hmm. are going to go wrong. And I think what can often impede a student in recovering from that struggle is that they wither, they hide, they don't want to tell anybody, they might be ashamed, they might feel uh, badly. And I would say to any student who finds him or herself in that circumstance in the first quarter or first semester, that is precisely the time not to hide. That is precisely the time to go talk with the various people on your campus who've been pointed out to you as resources and guides. When you're experiencing struggle, ideally before you experience, as you sense you're experiencing struggle, go in and talk to somebody. When the struggle actually eventuates, when the bad grade comes, when the disappointment happens, don't hide from that. Go in and talk with somebody about what you did and might have been able to do differently. What have you learned from that? How can you um, have confidence that next time you'll be more likely to see the success you want? I think that kind of mindset um, Mm -hmm. definitely contributes to um, persistence across the freshman year, retention through the the start of the sophomore year, and Mm -hmm. the higher graduation rate that you and I both want to see. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I have a few email questions that I do want to get to before we're out of time. Uh, One of them, this is from Robert in Ohio, he asks, what do you recommend that students do with regard to career planning in their first year, and how does that help them with deciding on their major? Hi, Robert in Ohio. I don't know if you're a student or a parent, so not that it matters, but I'm curious. Mm -hmm. Okay, a parent. Oh, today's job market is so tight and so tough. I was just at a presentation this morning where somebody was talking about the challenges our students face in getting careers today because of the economy. Um, and so obviously this is something on parents' minds and students' minds. Um, every campus is going to have some kind of um, uh, career um, uh, center where students can go in and, and do an assessment test to learn more about their strengths and their weaknesses and meet with a career counselor who can help um, show them information about internships and opportunities. Um, I think it's it's important to think about what can I do in the summer after my um, freshman year, certainly sophomore year. I think freshman year is a great summer to just spend back at home with your high school friends. But for those mm-hmm. who are wanting to get a jump start on career um 
plans. Um, you know, look for a meaningful internship, paid or unpaid. Often the most meaningful work does come through unpaid internships. If you can figure out a way to swing that um, and afford that, you get great experience and then leverage yourself as a great potential candidate for uh, a paid job further down the road. Um, you know, at, at, at Stanford, we, we tend not to think about careers and majors as being uh, linked in a one-to-one relationship. We think about Growing your intellectual capacity, strengthening the muscle that is your mind, and um, you know being a, a better thinker, a better um, uh, analyst, a better reader, a uh, uh, more effective communicator, which really um, serves you across every career you might imagine. So, you know, I would really encourage students to focus on doing their very best work academically, which is going to make them the most attractive candidate they can be when they um, when they do get out on the job market. Mm-hmm. And I hope happier <laughs> as a result yes. that they will. Absolutely. Well, if you really want me to get on my soapbox, Pamela, <laughs> my soapbox is study what you love. Study what you love. Exactly. Don't worry about the, the career, the one-to-one relationship with career. The jobs will come <laughs> and will be more likely to come your way if, you've, um, if you're excited and passionate about what you studied exactly. and the grades reflect that. Even if it's a major that seems not to have a job attached, um, the, exactly. the archetypal example there is philosophy. Um, <laughs> study philosophy, love philosophy, and go out into the world be able, being able to uh, uh, do you know practically anything that requires um, analytical reasoning and logical thought. So right. that's just one example. Study what you love yeah. is what my freshmen, by the way, I should give a shout out to the incoming members of the great class of 15 at Stanford, if oh. any of them are listening, they will hear me say at orientation <laughs> that they need to study what they love and have confidence yeah. that their life will flow accordingly. Yeah, I I did that as an undergrad as well. I ended up majoring in linguistics, and I have to say, uh, to the credit of majoring in linguistics, that's what got me my first job in investment banking in the interview. Is that right? Yeah, there you go. We talked about linguistics yeah. of all things. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have another question from a dad in uh, South Florida. He asked, this is a different kind of question. I hope you're not taken aback. He asked, what's going on with underage drinking and STDs on college campuses today, and how well are universities able to enforce their policies? Yeah, <laughs> so uh, what a great question. I think this is something on every parent's mind, certainly, and it's it's a concern for us as university administrators. I would say, first of all, that the the image of Animal House, which those of us who are in our 40s and 50s can remember, you know, those days of college life, to the extent they were ever true, they're long gone. Uh, there are so many more rules and regulations and policies designed to try to ensure safety and responsible behavior. And um, so I think there's less drinking on college campuses today than was the case um, years ago, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I think this is a perfect topic for a conversation between entering college freshmen and his or her parents. That is, you know, how are you going to plan for what you're confronted with at college? There's tremendous independence. There's tremendous freedom. You know, there's going to be alcohol. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to make good and healthy choices? On our campus, we encourage students not to be bystanders when they see each other engaging in harmful behavior. Um, We have an educational model, which is about, you know, understand the impact, understand the consequences of what you might do, and then make good choices accordingly. uh, you know, health and wellness is a huge mm-hmm. focus for any college administration, right. and every campus is going to have those resources, those health and wellness mm-hmm. resources, whether it's physical health like STDs, like you mentioned, or mental health, um, you know, support around 
um, right. risky behaviors. Um, those resources mm-hmm. definitely exist um, on the campus, and and you know students and parents should feel confident that 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 is the case. But ultimately, it comes down to the values a student has and the family exactly. has. So you, the university mm-hmm. has a hard time correcting behaviors that were already exactly. in place before the student comes to us. And so, um, beforehand. <laughs> yeah, so true. we want parents to join us in sending the right message to college freshmen about um, healthy behaviors versus risky behaviors, good decision-making versus poor decision-making. Okay. This wraps up our show. Dean Julie, I want to oh thank my gosh, you so the time much. Flew. And please Pamela, share thank you. with our listeners how they can stay connected with you. I Absolutely. know you're on both Facebook, I'm on Facebook. and Twitter. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Dean Julie. So I'm Dean Julie on Twitter, and I think on Facebook, if you pop in Dean Julie, you can find me there as well. And so I look forward to follow-up questions that may come, and thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so very much.